Hello and welcome to the If We Knew Then podcast. I'm Stephen Socks. And I'm Lori Socks. And today we're joined by Dr. Brian Scottco from Mass General Hospital and the creator of Down Syndrome Clinic to You, and Sandra Baker from Down Syndrome Association of Los Angeles. Today we discuss research and ways to take the information that is gathered and use it to empower us and find the tools to change the narrative for this community. So welcome Sandra Baker and Dr. Brian Scotco. Hi guys. Hello, sir. How are you? Great to see you. Lori, I love your glasses. Thank you. Hello. How are you? Hi, Sandra. Good to see you. Thank you so much, both of you for, for coming on. Um, thank you, Dr. Scotco for coordinating this. It's neat that we're uh, in Los Angeles. We're talking to Sandra from DS. ALA and Brian, you're over in the East Coast in Boston. So this is uh, this is nice. I'm so excited to share this with all of you, but particularly Sandra, you got an expert in your backyard. So I'm so glad she could join us. Hi, uh, yeah, this is Sandra, and I'm from the Down Syndrome Association of Los Angeles, and I was part of the team in creating the uh, product that Brian is gonna talk about today. So. <laughs> I think that we've discussed equanimity and race and socioeconomic, um, how that impacts the care and also the path for an individual with Down syndrome. So I'm really happy to have this conversation today because it's, it's always, when we go into IEPs, I know we're going to talk about healthcare today, but when we go into IEPs, that's, that's always from the very beginning, something that's been in the back of my mind, because English is my first language, and I can communicate when I'm in an IEP, and ask questions. And I learned not to just take what said to me, because it contradicted what the law was for my child and his education. And I never left an IEP thinking, you know, the family where English is a second language, or they don't know to question these things because they're said so adamantly as fact. And the impact that has on not only that family, but you know, the the child, the individual with Down syndrome, it impacts the quality of their life, it impacts the abilities and the opportunities that are given to them. You know, Laurie, it's anecdotes like that and circumstances like that that really led our team to want to dive deeper into the experience. Because, you know, I'm a big fan of research. Research really gives us the tools and the power to understand accurately what's going on so that then we can hand it off to our advocates to make the necessary change. And so two years ago, we were successful in getting another grant from PCOR, you're the Patient-Centered Outcome Research Institute, which is a national funding mechanism to do research. And I'm so grateful for their funding because they gave us funding to do a deep dive into the lived experiences of those families in our Down syndrome community who identify as Black, African-American, mixed race, and or Spanish speaking as their primary language. 
And for this podcast, we really wanted to share with you some of the results of families who are primarily Spanish speaking because their voices are oftentimes unheard and unnoticed. And Sandra uh, joined us as part of this research. We had a task force full of parents, self-advocates and experts. And for two years, we did three things. We interviewed primary care doctors who are on the ground trying to provide care for families who are primarily Spanish speaking. We had focus groups with families in Spanish who have a loved one with Down syndrome. And then we issued a national survey. So we sent it out across the country to hear back from the families who identify as having Spanish as their primary language. And we heard back from those results. And many of the results were unfortunately not surprising and validated many of those experiences that you heard. But just off the bat, 32% of our respondents felt that if their loved one with Down syndrome did not come from a household that spoke English, they had a lower quality of medical care in comparison to English-speaking families who have a loved one with Down syndrome. And so those perceptions have big impacts, and that was the goal of this research, to better understand that. When you say that that they had the perception that they were receiving lower quality medical attention, was it the actual experience or just that they just felt like they were receiving less? Of course, we weren't there. So all of these were parent reports. So parents gave their experience and this is how they felt. And I think, you know, so much that we talk about in medicine is at the end of the day, what is the take home experience for families of all of all different races and ethnic backgrounds. And you know, another thing we found is who are the trusted messengers? That is when you say, okay, if someone's gonna give me healthcare information about Down syndrome, who's at the top of the list and who's at the bottom of the list of people I trust? And what's nice and reassuring is from families who responded to our survey, again, primarily Spanish speaking, they said that clinicians and hospitals are at the top of their trusted messengers. So it's a privileged position to be in but yet we get it wrong so often. And many times that occurs at that initial diagnosis. And so many of our families have said they remember with pinpoint accuracy when the doctor came in with a translator or without a translator and told them that their loved one has Down syndrome. And that oftentimes shattered their trust in the medical system, which took years, if not decades, to regain and rebuild. So right from the get-go, the clinical community really has to get it right in order to earn the trust, particularly of our Spanish-speaking families. Trust is is the key word there that resonates with me. It kind of goes back to when you were talking about the IEPs. With trust comes confidence and, and, and a dialogue. And without trust, I can see how you could shut down, not ask questions, or not look further in things and or question something you maybe don't understand. But I think we've discussed the importance of the way the diagnosis is delivered. And, you know, we've been doing so many interviews. I think out of all of the parents we've spoken to, we may have had three stories of being given the news that your child has Down syndrome in a positive way uh, with the supports that are available and, and laying a foundation of what we come to realize that the actual journey with a a child with Down syndrome is instead of it being, you know, this heavy handed testing. And, and I think we've discussed that, uh, Dr. Scott Co about the need for that message, like right from go. And I, and even, even the fact that it causes families not 
to trust the medical profession. I don't know how that gets rebuilt. I feel like it also shatters and creates um, so many challenges for the family. Uh, the message uh, that's sent causes, you know, it, like the way we received our message, then when family comes to us, it's just, it just keeps, it, it continues yeah. to propagate this um, pity, uh, how terrible that, that feel. And those challenges, they take years to overcome until you're in this life and you go, you know, they were wrong. Yeah. And I, if, yeah, I want to say that I had the same experience. I also have a son with Down syndrome. He's almost 25. And actually when I had my son, so just from the very beginning, I, I had to distrust uh, the medical professionals around me because uh, I was sent home with my baby without a uh, diagnosis. So I had to look it up and, and then do all this stuff myself and go to the doctor and get it, the, you know, get this, uh, the test. And then when we got the diagnosis, they gave us the worst case scenario that at some point I stopped listening to the doctor because it was just horrible. But we've had so many experiences now that he's 25, you know, many times we didn't have insurance. You know, my husband lost his job or something and we had to jump from doctor to doctor and uh, it just felt like we always had to educate uh, doctors, a new doctor, you know. And just recently, I took my son to the doctor. Uh, he was he was having surgery and actually he went to get an MRI and the MRI technician uh, didn't want my son to change his clothes to do the test. And he said, and I said, well, I know he's going to do it. You know, why are you not you know, trying not to get my son in there? He needs to do this for his surgery. And he said, oh, you know, I, I just look at him. I know he's not going to do it. And I had to uh, just uh, file a complaint against this person. And uh, and just like you mentioned, Lori, when I started in this life, I noticed because I spoke English, I noticed that my son had all these services, but my friends didn't, you know, and I and I wonder how what is it that they don't have the same services as my son? And they probably need more than my son sometimes, you know, and that's what got me here just trying to advocate for families. I started working with families. Uh, especially monolingual families since my son was two years old. So by the time we went to our first IEP, I was, <laughs> I felt like I was already an expert. I was already going to IEPs before my son was three years old because I just want to make sure that my families had somebody there to interpret the, the meeting in the right way because otherwise they were just lying to them and they didn't know, even like the translation that they offered, translations, interpretation, everything was really bad. And that's one of the things that, you know, that I think we push forward with the Down syndrome clinic to you. You know, we want to make sure that not only it was translated, it was accessible to our families, but the, the translation was also understood, you know. But I think what brought me to the Down syndrome association was uh, just helping Spanish speaking families and people of color, because I do help people of any ethnicity. But I feel like because I've done this work for so long that I have the patience to work through many accents, many people that I don't have, the, you know, the, they don't use the language well or, or you know, they're learning English. So uh, many times, even some of my co-works always sent me people, oh, can you talk to this person, you know, and I was like, oh, 
why are you sending me this person? This, you know, the person speaks Russian. <laughs> but then I realized that, I mean, I don't have, you know, like the ear for any other language, but I have the patience to be able to communicate with people, you know. So I think that that's the first thing also. You have to also, talking about trust, uh, you have to earn the trust of people, you know. And I think us as parents, I think it's easier for us and and even Brian, because she he has a sister with Down syndrome, and I think he's very well known in the Down syndrome community. Well, I'm glad that you mentioned the Down syndrome clinic because as soon as you said that about um, I, I, about not having the resources or always having to educate doctors, I mean that is what was behind DSC to you is is a lifesaver for so many that can't. Or don't have but a, any, a but specialist, not, and and even someone any, that yeah, any doctor. I mean, we, we meet a lot of people, and DSCTU has been fantastic to be able to go and bring something to our pediatrician, and it was wonderful. I mean, it, it changed the whole conversation in such a positive way for for our pediatrician as well. It was it was very. I don't nice. really, I don't even think it just changes the conversation. I think it starts the conversation, yeah. and when you're a part of the conversation, because you're a part of your every child you know, you go to your doctor, you're part of that conversation. And it should never feel though it does sometimes that you're not part of a conversation that, you know, you're at the whim of anyone, whether it be medical or the education system, that that should never be your experience. Because being a caregiver, that's, that's your job. That's what you do. And no one should ever make you feel like you're on the outside. Because uh, I believe that we have more of an impact in our child's life. We we're there every day. We see them, we support them. And, you know, so having that, that uh, ability to bridge the gap when, you know, you can understand we, let's just face it. It's taken me a long time to admit it, but because of the history of down syndrome, because of the way society viewed down syndrome, because of the way the medical community treated individuals with down syndrome, it's really, you know, it's not surprising that that information wouldn't be there. So now we have doctors who do the work and we can make it available. So we don't have to talk about, we don't always have to, we don't have to carry, we know why, we don't have to carry it. We can just go forward making it better. And I wanted to add that I also used the service. I used the, you know, I did the survey and got the report for my doctor. And it was helpful because every time I, I take my son to the doctor, it feels like I have to make a case for every little thing that I, you know, every concern that I have. I have to make a case for it. I even have, I feel like sometimes I have to exaggerate things, you know, so that they listen to me. But when I took the report, I, I didn't even talk. I just, oh, here's, this is what I got. And uh, I was shocked really, you know. So I just hope that uh, more uh, Hispanic families use this service because, you know, we're the last ones to get, know about anything to uh, use any services, to have access to services. So it would be great, you know, and, and with your podcast, hopefully it'll help us bring more awareness to the Down syndrome clinic to you. You know, what Sandra's describing, unfortunately, she's not alone. From our research we did together, one out of every three primarily Spanish-speaking families say it takes so much time and effort just to find the basic information about healthcare for their loved ones with Down syndrome. 
And we all, as part of this project, feel that we should democratize healthcare, and we could use the power of technology to do that. And Down Syndrome Clinic to you, which you've been describing, is an online platform. As you've said, it's available fully in English and completely in Spanish from beginning to end. It's been made and informed by caregivers like Sandra and many self-advocates out there who speak both English and in Spanish. And it also addresses several of the barriers that we've learned from our research. So from families who are primarily Spanish speaking, they said some of the biggest barriers that they feel uh, prevent access of good quality care is time they have to take off of work in order to take time off of work, get into a clinic visit, wait in line, et cetera. Number two is worried about out-of-pocket expenses. Okay, you have to go here, you have to pay, you have to pay the the parking, then you have to pay for the service, and then you have to go over and over again. Those start to accumulate. And then also they really worry whether their loved one with Down syndrome will be treated with respect by the person that they're being referred to. Down syndrome clinic to you is built so that you could do it at home in the comfort of your own home. As all of you know, you complete the system. It's not a telemedicine visit. You're not gonna see any of us, but after you enter in any concerns, you get that automated customized report that you take back to your trusted primary care doctor because parents ultimately choose or settle with someone they trust. So rather than going into the unknown and finding all of these people that accumulate time and expenses, we together could democratize healthcare, bring it to your trusted primary care doctor and help them be the gateway and the Down syndrome specialist. And so that's how we're really hoping to roll this out. Doctor, did you, were there other things you want to say about the actual process of the research? You know, through our focus groups, another message that came through loud and clear is that many families wish that the race or ethnicity of the clinician was concordant with their own family's race or ethnicity. And regrettably, we do not have enough physicians who are of color who are taking care of people with Down syndrome. So there's so many things we've identified that we need a structural change, and this we need to work on from medical school, before medical school, going to grade school and getting people excited to become doctors, because we really do know that many families find that race concordance is important to them when they're choosing a trusted provider. But simply put right now, we do not have enough non-white clinicians to take care of everyone with Down syndrome. So another way we think Down Syndrome Clinic 2 could be helpful is it is an online platform, right? So rather than finding these specialists, if you find a primary care doctor who matches your values and matches your backgrounds, we could help empower them with the information. Down Syndrome Clinic 2 is no race, it is every race because it's just an online platform. But we, we are starting to see some of these preferences and we think with an online piece of technology, we could start to customize that experience in a way that's thoughtful. One of the things that I've, I've, I've spoken about like the last, the last couple conversations we've had is I'm so glad that you filed a report a complaint against the technician. Now, I was going to say, I don't know where this attitude comes from, but we we know where the attitude comes from. And I think as a community, part of the effect of the diagnosis and the path that families are on is to lose a bit of our voice because it's uh, everything can feel heavy sometimes. Always trying to have a voice can be tiresome. And at some points, we can lose our voice. To me, it's very important that I encourage families to know that they have a voice. And 
We are in a time historically where discrimination, racism, these things are are not, they're not okay. They were never okay, but as a society, we're starting, there's, we're, we're starting to call people on it. I'm not protecting the people who have bad manners anymore. You know, if, um, if you're at an IEP and someone uses, um, opinions or derogatory language, if you're at the doctor's office and someone says, just look at them, I kindly ask for someone else to just look at your child and and let them know that their discrimination is actually unlawful and has no place where they are and because I'm I I just I've gotten to a point that these stories aren't rare and for some reason there's a lot of bullies out there that that feel like it's okay to just if you're having a bad day or you have a derogatory opinion that you might hold in in other areas that it's okay to lash out at individuals with disabilities. It's okay to just say it because you think it's the fact and it's not. And I just encourage people and you don't, you don't, it doesn't have to be a argument. It can just be a statement that discrimination has no place in a medical visit. And you'd kindly like to speak to someone else. And that's all it has to be. And you can wait and they're going to resist and you can ask for their boss. It's just not okay. And it's too commonplace. And I'll go back to what you've created though, Dr. Scott Coe, which is a, a positive, empowering support for families that can help bridge that gap and allow them to, to maybe not have to suffer this kind of attitude or behavior because you, you know what your, your child needs. And also if there is a concern that, Hey, this is, Oh, this is the test that we're being referred to. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, there might be ideas on DSC to you that would offer supports or ideas of how to support your loved one in that appointment. Exactly right. Um, we, DSC to you, as you know, is comprehensive. It's not just medical tests, but it's the whole wellness experience. And with that, we include uh, ideas for education, for IEP meetings, for life skills, for family skills. We're really continuing to hone that. But at the end of the day, Down Syndrome Clinic to you, we firmly believe is one of the solutions, but it's not the complete solution. Lori, what I like you mentioning is this topic of conversation and dialogue. We need to have tough dialogues. We need to continue to have them in our communities. And one other product that came out as a result of the shared grant is we built a toolkit for Down syndrome communities across the country to start to easily have these diversity dialogues within our own communities. There are families within our own Down syndrome community who feel like they do not belong, like there's no space for them, that there is a different system between the haves and have-nots, between those of a certain race or not of race. And working with Sandra has been so helpful because people in LA are so lucky to have her because she has one of the model programs and already has been having these diversity dialogues. But I want listeners to know that if you don't know where to begin or don't know how to begin, we've modeled these and we've gone across the country, both virtually and in person, to start to hold some of these tough conversations. 
and and it's just I just it's really important and I feel like IEPs and I feel like the the medical journey I feel like those two go hand in hand because we we are really taught to respect both of those professions uh, you know, you get a good doctor like Dr. Scott Coe, and you know the 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 work that he's put into becoming a doctor. You know the passion. You know, you, you just you. I'm going to listen to what you say because you've done the work and, and you care, and I trust you. And sometimes people have to earn our trust. You know, I don't think we need to go into it just trusting, especially. You, when it comes to our when it comes to our loved ones with Down syndrome, I don't say distrust, but I I think being alert, being uh, it's part aware, of being an advocate, right? Yeah, and being just being there. I I love and and I and and I really encourage every parent to go onto the website to fill out their their form and have that with them. And like you said, it's not only just to go to your doctor, you can get different accommodation ideas, support ideas to take those into your IEPs. And there is something very valid about having that piece of paper with, you know, Harvard stamp and (laughs) there's, there's something it it holds some weight, you know, and and I think that we should utilize those tools because there was a time that we didn't have many allies. There was a time that the, you know, and, and I'm going back to the industrial revolution when the president stood behind the sterilization of our, our children and our community. And so there wasn't a lot of advocates on our side. And so we have some really great advocates now. We have some really great tools and we need to use those. We need to be empowered as a community to not be victimized by by a, a system that was founded by bullies. You know, we, we can, that's done. Let that be the past. Let us learn from it. And, and not go back there again and keep moving forward on, on these, these grounds that are being built, these new steps that are being created for us. Um, I think it's just so, so important. I think that's a lot of your work, Brian, Dr. Scottco, is empowering advocates, empowering individuals with Down syndrome. And I, I, I saw that the very first moment I, I, I saw you and, uh, DSCTU is just one way to do it, but it's extremely empowering. Thank you. You know, it, it takes a team, and I so believe that research needs to always be a verb. We need to find the answers, but then we need to continue to use it to affect change. There's no point in doing research if it's just going to sit in some binder in a library that no one's going to read, right? Let's make the change so that we could fill in the blanks. And what we've learned from our studies on families who identify as Black or primarily Spanish-speaking is there is a lot of room for improvement, and we all need to be part of that solution. There's both some structural change, there's individual change, and there's changes at the advocacy level. But I would love if, um, Sandra, maybe you could share some of the work that you are doing and the Down Syndrome Association of LA is doing, because I think it's highly creative and highly innovative about ways that organizations could really empower local families and it takes those connections. Well, as you know, well, LA is very, I mean, we're a melting pot, right? My family, for example, we're, you know, a mix mix of uh, African-American and Latino. 
So, um, and I think it's been very helpful to have also that connection uh, with families because, uh, you know, speaking of trust, we help families from the time uh, families get a prenatal diagnosis, and, you know, and beyond, you know. So we are here for all the stages of life. And so we have to figure out different resources and ways to help families get the resources they need so they can help their, their loved ones with Down syndrome. And I know for myself, you know, like I know I have the same issues as everybody else. So I always base things on my own experiences as well. And, and then when families tell me their experiences and, you know, I take those to heart. And so, uh, and when Dr. Brian approached me for this project, um, how many years ago, seven years ago, I jumped on it because I, I just thought, you know what, this is going to help everybody, not just Spanish speaking families, but anybody who's having any type of medical issue that they can't recognize, you know, because when you go through the application, you start, you know, it's a survey, it's kind of like a survey. So you answer questions as you go. And if when you answer yes to something, then more questions pop up. So sometimes, you know, as a parent that we're busy, we don't know what's happening too much in the health, you know, community, then you can go to that uh, survey and they ask you questions and you go, oh, I never thought about this. Well, yeah, this is what's happening. I see this, you know. And then uh, when you get the results, you go, oh, I never had a name for this. Now I do. So that's you know another way that I think this this actually this website is really good, and and that's why I support it because um, you know it was almost like filling a gap that we had and you know for for us to get the best care possible, and I just wish more families are aware of this and use the services you know, like I said it was like for when I used it it was like. Day and, day and night, I went in with my little report and I'm like, oh, what's going to happen? What, you know, and actually the doctor looked at me and said, how did you get this? You know, <laughs> I got my connection to the Down syndrome clinic online, you know, so but I explained the whole, you know, service and stuff. And when you're a person of color, you also have all other barriers, not only the language, but whether or not you have access to healthcare to um, you know, you don't have insurance, medical insurance. You don't have money to go pay a doctor. You don't have resources uh, to get an assessment. So we have to figure out different things that they can access, you know. And, you know, we don't turn anybody away. We welcome everybody and uh, we help the best we can. And if we don't have the resources and I started looking around, asking around, I even reach out to Dr. Scott because sometimes, you know, hey, something's happening. Can you just at least guide me where to find this information, you know? So we try the best that we can to support our families here in LA. So at the DSALA website, do you have a link to Down Syndrome Clinic to you? Yes, I do. Because I want to clarify the forms that you were talking about filling out that are such a bridge and such a support. That was the form that's on the website for the the intake form for the Down Syndrome Clinic. Well, two things. If you go to to DSALA.org and you scroll to the bottom, we have a whole button dedicated to the Down Syndrome Clinic. And then also you can go to DSC2U.org and you can also reach that, that page as well. 
And when you get to that page on the right hand side, you're going to see a little icon of a global icon where you can switch to English to Spanish. So, you know, hopefully in the future we'll have other languages, for, but right now we have English and Spanish. We need more funding, we need more families to use the service. And once, you know, you use it once, you will see the benefits of it. I think you're going to have to do it every year, every time you're going to have your physical with your child, you know, you're going to have to, I have to get that before I go so I can get my referrals. And one of the things I, got, I want to mention this time when I took my report, because COVID and everything happened, so he really regressed with his speech and everything. So, and I felt like I had to prove my point or oh, more assessment, whatever. And then um, when I got the report and one of the things was speech therapy they actually just wrote it in well here's your referral and then i got a call from the provider and i was like oh this is unbelievable unbelievable dr scott co what's the fee for the intake so there's three low-cost plans Lori. for a one-time use it's 49 dollars um for as many times as you want throughout the year it's 89 dollars and then a subscription plan for $69, you could go back as often as you want and you commit to kind of a multi-year use. I would point out that several insurances do cover it and many Down syndrome organizations are now subsidizing that cost. So I encourage listeners to check out the website, click on organizations, and you might even find that one of your local Down syndrome organizations is really reducing the cost for you. I love the research because like you said, you can know it's the truth, but you have the research now that proves everything that we thought. I mean, this is, let's talk about, you know, it's there, it's racism. Uh, there are systemic things that are in place. And if you put that in addition to your individual, your uh, loved one has down syndrome, we can't deny that th those things don't just go away. They're impacted, they're exacerbated, and it's not going to go away by pretending it doesn't exist. So the best way to move through that is to empower yourself. We've talked so many times about the Down syndrome clinic to you because it is a tool. And, you know, we are very fortunate. Liam has a great pediatrician who has been his, now his NICU doctor, not awesome. Luckily, we had his pediatrician from birth that has been just on it. And she was so happy to get that form. And then she discussed with us the different tests. And we, and it was great because some of the tests that are on there, she said, oh, well, normally I wait until this point to do that test. But if you'd like, we can do it mm -hmm. now. And, and it just, it doesn't matter where you are in your journey. It's a tool. And just like we do go into IEPs and we fight for the supports for our children, think of it as that. Right now, it's a support for you, but as your child gets older, you have a support for them. And, you know, depending on your child's age, sit down next to them. Let's talk about where you are. You have an older child? Let's talk about how are you feeling? What are you experiencing? Let's talk, you, you know, you can just go through the form. We are creating a foundation for Liam to live an independent life with all the possibilities. Why not sit down with Liam? and do that form when it's age appropriate. Why not empower him to be his own medical advocate? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and this is a safe space. This is a really safe space to do it. And it's a learning tool as well. Like when you answer, Sandra, you were saying when you answer a question that says yes, you know, like, oh, well, uh, we are seeing uh, 
congestion, let's say. I don't, I'm just picking this out of the blue, but it can go into other facets of why that could be happening or what to look for. So you're educating yourself. You can also educate your loved one that way too. And you bring it all to your pediatrician and there's no doubt the pediatrician can be educated as well. I acknowledge as a parent that medicine is scary. It's one of the first fears they put into us when they give us a diagnosis. And sometimes we want to look away. Yeah, we want to look, <laughs> we want to look away. We want to pretend we do, but nothing gets fixed like that. And then also sometimes that's just fear. And it's also empowering to go, oh, it is nothing or, oh, let's stay away from the dairy or, oh, let's have this test done. And, you know, not everything needs to weigh on us and we can empower ourselves to, to be free from anything that's based in fear by having knowledge and using the tools that are given to us, offered to us. Dr. Scott, I feel like you wanted to add something. You know, Laurie, I was just going to say so many of our families, unfortunately, have to battle structural racism. Sometimes we see it, sometimes we don't. So many of our families have to battle, battle structural ableism, where the world doesn't appreciate the neurodiversity that's out there. And there are some families that are at the intersection of both. They encounter structural racism and ableism on a daily basis. And we do have a tool, uh, you know, DSCDU is one of many. And I think, how do we fight structural problems? We create structural solutions. But what I'm so grateful for is, you know, I'm in this ivory tower and I get to create Down syndrome clinic to you. That's not gonna help anyone unless we make those structural connections. So I am so grateful for Sandra, who for seven years has given it to me straight. Brian, this isn't gonna work. No, that's not right. Well, Brian, you need to do it this way and giving honest feedback to create something that's gonna be used. But then even after we create it, it, it causes no structural change unless I am partnering with Sandra, who has, for her whole 16 years, earned the trust of her community, who then she could vouch, yeah, you could trust that guy at Harvard, and then the magic happens, right? But this is the power that we've been able to demonstrate and why I believe that there's hope, because look at the beauty from LA to Boston, we're linked, everyone can now have the latest, greatest information. But we don't have enough Sandras around the globe, and how do we get families who are battling structural racism and ableism and all other parts of the country to find their local broker who they're going to trust, who will then find the next person and find us. So we really, it's going to take a community effort. And this is why our next level is to create these toolkits that we've posted. And we'll be happy to share them with you. Maybe they can be included in the show notes where local communities who don't have a Sandra could start to build a program to earn that trust because it can't just be DSCDU that that's maybe at the end of the ladder. We got to build up the ladder to get there. And that's going to take some hard work by our whole community. Yeah. Pretty lucky if you live in Massachusetts or in the Southern California area uh, to have you both. But um, yeah, we need more of that. Sandra, uh, I can't believe we, we haven't met you I yet. know. Uh, Sandra, maybe you can give us a little more details of, of how if someone in the LA area wants to access Down Syndrome Association of LA, what do they do? Uh, Like I say, we support families in all stages of life. So anytime there's anything, they can call us. Uh, 818-786-0001. Our website is dsala.org. 
and our email info at dsla.org and we have referrals we have some programs like for example social clubs uh, so individuals can connect with other individuals with down syndrome but also the families connect with other families and that's how we form those communities because they then they connect and they they know each other they have a birthday party and they have friends to invite you know so we like i say we have families of all, all stages of life all different types of need and we try to figure out things for everybody and our mission is to connect families and to services to other families to the community to make sure that they don't feel alone in this journey because as you may know uh, this journey can be a little bit tough you know those services that you you spoke about are they only available to individuals in LA or is that something that if someone's listening and doesn't live in Los Angeles you know the world's become very virtual can they reach out yeah they can reach out actually you know and as I mentioned I get calls from other countries sometimes asking questions you know and I don't mind and if I don't like I said if I don't know the answer for whatever question they have I will try to make sure to reach out to other people to so you can get the answer you need. One of the things that we knew we loved Dr. Scott Coe from Go was when we had the discussion of the chromosome has not changed. It's just the the community has changed, the opportunities have changed, the support has changed. And I, and I can only imagine what DSA LA was when it first began so many years ago, what the message was, what the support looked like, um, what the group conversations were. I, I feel confident and inspired that those conversations have changed, that, that hope exists now uh, within the Down syndrome community, that there's talks about inclusion, that's, that there's talks about what will my child do after school, meaning uh, like what are the opportunities that are there? And I think these are the conversations that are so important for our families to hear because it's not what we get at the beginning. And I do have uh, faith that there's an evolution of humanity and those conversations are changing, but it's so important for us to be able to see uh, the changes that are happening. And those changes do come from within. They come from the supports that we give our children. They come from the opportunities that we're aware. If English is our second language, if we are having to face the systemic barriers, the challenges that are placed in front of us, those conversations need to happen too. So that way it, we can make that change. Like you said, Dr. Scott Coe, because having Down syndrome may change the way the journey looks, but nobody's journey is the same. And that's, that's what I just want parents to know because that's how change happens. You know, I'll, I'll be honest. It took us, it took us a little while to actually log in and do our intake because we were afraid to be quite honest. Like we didn't know what would, what would come back, back to us. So, you know, if, if it's, it's either love or fear that you come from and, and nothing good come, nothing good comes from fear. You know, DSALA also, uh, would like to empower families so they can, uh, get things that they need for their children. And this tool can also empower families to get what they need through their, you know, through this uh, report that they can take to the doctor. 
as parents, we need to push for change. Uh, DSALA is not going to do anything if it's not because of the push from the families, from friends, whoever is supportive to uh, Down syndrome. If we don't have those individuals to help us uh, reach any goals, then it's not, nothing's going to happen. You know, Sandra, we've had so many pioneers in our movement, and today is so dramatically better for people with Down syndrome because of the advocates of yesteryear. But we all know the work is far from over, and there is so much more that needs to be done. And it's building communities one at a time, the community that DSALA has built, the communities that are around, but we need to stitch them together. We need to continue to make sure they're more inclusive, and we need to continue to advocate because people with Down syndrome deserve it. And as always, I still feel the best is yet to come. Well, thank you, Sandra, and uh, what you do at the Down Syndrome Association of Los Angeles for the Southern California community. And, and, and Dr. Scott thank you for everything you do for the community. I mean, DSC to you reaches out to anyone in the world that speaks English and Spanish. Yeah, that's one thing I wanted to make sure everybody knew, that it's anywhere in the world. Just, just get online. Just get online. There'll be a link to that as well in our show notes. And we cannot stress enough what a great tool this is. And also, thank you for making the conversation because it, it is a conversation that that needs to be had. Um, inclusion is everybody. And, if, and it's not inclusion if not everybody is invited to the table. Thank you, guys. You rock. We'll talk again soon. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Please follow us on Twitter at If We Knew Then Pod. And you can drop us a line on our Facebook page at If We Knew Then Pod. Or visit our website, ifweknewthen.com, to send us an email with questions and comments. And you can join our mailing list there and get alerts of future podcast episodes. All these links will be added to this episode's show notes. Thank you again, and we look forward to you joining us on the next episode of If We Knew Then. Amazon.